Welcome to Fashion Forum, a series brought to you by the British Fashion Council, aimed at creating positive change and highlighting the relationship between the creative industries, celebrating not only fashion designers, but also the broader creative community. Each episode welcomes a broad range of voices, sharing personal experiences, as well as discussing the biggest issues in fashion today. I'm Christopher Morency, Editorial Director of High Stability. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be speaking to Jose Neves, the founder of Farfetch, about reinvention and evolving a brand. We'll jump straight into it, I think, Jose. <laughs> we spoke a bit over a year ago. Um, that was back then in the Farfetch office before the pandemic, obviously. And it was a really interesting time for the company because you guys had just bought stadium goods, um, I think for roughly $250 million. Um, then later came the New Guards group, you know, the fashion group overseeing the distribution, production and scaling of brands like Off-White, Hearn, Preston, Palm Angels and more. That was for a report at $700 million. A lot has happened since with Browns, with venturing into China, etc. But I'm kind of keen to hear from you what's happened in the past you know, 12 to 15 months since we've seen each other. Thank you, Chris. I think it's, it's been um, an incredible 18 months for everyone, right? For, for the world, uh, absolutely unprecedented uh, situation for all of us. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been uh, an incredible learning from me personally, um, but, but also from, from everyone at Firefetch. I think, I think the most important thing was um, in March, February, March, as we realized, you know, our boutiques were going to be affected by the end of February, uh, Italy closed down. Um, so we knew that we were going to have a, a big part of the Farfetch community unable to, uh, to, to, you know, to do business as usual. So um, severely, you know, curtailed in their uh, ability to operate. Um, and you know, it was very clear that we had to, to define our mission. What is uh, the mission of Farfetch in a world like this? Um, and, and we got in a room um, several times, several days, and, and we came to the conclusion that uh, we cannot save lives. That's not the nature of our business, but we can save businesses. Uh, we can help save businesses. Hundreds of businesses in the past 18 months have uh, relied on Farfetch for um, the majority of their sales, and uh, and that was very galvanizing to to our teams, to everyone in the company. From you know all the six thousand Farfetchers we have in the company were galvanized by this um, mission of um, you know helping, especially the small and medium businesses that use the platform. And our our mission was really to protect this ecosystem the best we could. To, to the to the best of our abilities, and that's what we did. So in April, we launched hashtag support boutiques, uh, which was really about supporting small businesses. We use boutiques because it's easier for the consumer to understand. Um, and when they're supporting boutiques, they are supporting yes. local businesses. They are also supporting small designers, and that was incredible. It it really resonated with our customer, and we saw a boom in sales. Actually, we saw the sales accelerating in Q2, Q3, Q4 in 2020, and well into 2021, we continue to see the same, the same acceleration. And that was fantastic for our boutiques. That was fantastic for designers who could continue to supply them, pay, you know, get their bills paid by them, and and keep the the ecosystem 
um, as healthy as possible and uh, and ultimately you know that resulted in, in in being um, a very successful year also for Firefetch, right so that's that's the way we see it by, by helping this community we were able to help ourselves as well yeah I want to speak a bit about go a bit further about this evolution right you know this podcast obviously about is about evolution reinvention and I find that word very interesting, especially when it applies to, to you personally, because you look back at your career and we had this discussion before, you know, in the 90s, obviously, starting with Swear, with the sneaker business, and then going in to B-Store, the business you launched, you know, I think it was like about 10 years later or probably five years later in the early 2000s. Farfetch, obviously, in 2007, the business has evolved many, many times over the years. When we talk about... I'm going to dig right into it, but when we talk about what's next almost, you know, when you're looking to the next year, we look at China, we look at more international expansion, supporting the boutiques a bit more, as you mentioned. What's, what's almost that next step for Farfetch when you think about its evolution? Well, I think in the short term, medium term, it's very clear. We want to be a platform for the, the global fashion industry, the high-end fashion industry. I don't, I don't like the word luxury, but it's easier to use so people understand. Um, and and we want as a platform we want to to be a positive force for the industry uh, and this then takes many many shapes right so for example in terms of sustainability we've been um you know through this period uh, so for example in april 2020 we launched conscious um deliveries uh, meaning that if you buy something from farfetch um, we offset the carbon emissions, both from the delivery and the return, if there is a return. And we do that by investing in renewable energy projects and reforestation projects around the world, obviously with certified entities, and, and we measure it very, very carefully. Um, but we've launched so many other things around sustainability. We launched a, a sustainability impact calculator, so you can calculate what's the difference between linen and cotton in terms of your choices. Um, or um, between you know certain types of products versus other products, etc. Uh, we saw our conscious edit, which is an independently rating on all our products, so you can filter uh, by products that achieve a certain rating. Uh, we call them conscious products, for the lack of a better word, and um, and it's growing faster than the rest of the marketplace. So it's growing very very fast, which shows that by empowering people to make um, decisions, um, you know, we create a, a virtual cycle because we can then go back to the brands and say, look, you know, Farfetch is growing at 60%, but the conscious edit is mm -hmm. growing above 60%, right? So it's growing even faster. So this is something that we invite you to consider yes. when designing collections, etc., because it is having a positive impact um, resonating with, uh, with consumers. So, so that's one example. So how as a platform, for luxury, we can help um, the, the you know sustainability across um, across the sector, uh, but also many other things. How can we help um, you know brands and retailers reinvent the experience of retail, and, and we call it luxury new retail um, mm. in terms of our vision. How 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 are people going to shop for fashion in the next five to ten years that's the big question i would say that is the most important question because people think about e-commerce a lot of course and they think about this big business and it is a big business and certainly growing but it still makes up 
the very low double digits of total commerce. Correct, correct. It's, um, you know, it used to be 13% before the pandemic. Um, throughout the pandemic, it's above, slightly above 20. At a normalized rate, it's around 20, let's say, uh, which yes. means 80% is still in physical stores. And that's going to change. But, you know, fast forward five years, 60% will be in physical stores. That's still the majority. Uh, we don't think those physical stores are going to operate the same way they operate today. Um, it's very rare to, these days to find a part of human culture or activity that hasn't been touched deeply by technology. But in, in traditional retail, you have one, right? You have this dinosaur, this very odd, it's an oddity, right? That everything changed, the way we hail a taxi, the way we book a table at a restaurant, the way we book a hotel is like, who, who goes to a travel agent to book a hotel? And they still exist, I still see <laughs> and when I go on the high street, but they, they become more specialist tra travel agents, let's say. But uh, we know that 85% of, of hotel, uh, over 85% of hotel bookings are done by just two companies actually, Booking and Expedia. And overall, if you add all the others, it's very close to 100%, right? Then you go to the physical star, and it's still working as it used to work in the, in the 90s. Maybe you have a better credit, you know, a better credit card machine with touchless or something like that, but it's still fundamentally the same. And maybe they ask you for your email to, you know, to scribble your email on a farm, and then you deliberately misspell it so that they don't spam you. And uh, <laughs> so, so that, you know, it's, it's an oddity. It's really an oddity. And, and it's interesting how some people say, well, clearly it has to be like this because it has always like this and it, ha and it hasn't changed. No, that's not the only necessary conclusion. Another conclusion can be no one, no one really tried ever because it is very complex, right? It, it takes um, a deep knowledge of technology, but also a deep knowledge of the customer and the codes of luxury. And so it has been done, it has to be done between, um, uh, as a partnership. And that's what, why we did the deal with Alibaba and, and Richemont and Artemis, who, who owns Caring and Chris's and other luxury assets. It's, it's really to bring a group together, but then this is open to the entire industry. Obviously, it's going to be for all brands, all retailers. And, and, um, and, and, and for us as a platform, you know, helping answer that question. Um, how will we shop for election in the next five, ten years, both online and offline, is part of our mission. So these are things that we're working on. So, so your question is a very broad one. So what's, what's next? Yes. Um, in the immediate future, we're working on these things. In the long term, uh, the answer is we don't know, right? We, we will need to continue to adapt. I really like this, um, this idea of the future of retail. I know that you speak a lot about this. And I read a lot about this on the receiving side. And one of the things I would say is, you know, I draw a parallel to office culture, right? Now that everyone's going back to the physical space and online will be a bigger thing. Same counts for shopping, for fashion, for whatever it is. You know, what some forecasters say is that the square footage in terms of meters or feet or whatever it is of the physical office, or in this case, the stores will become less, but the investment per square meter from the brands in this case, or from the um, employer will become more. It will be more special. It will be smaller, but it will be more special when you do come into that physical experience. Is that something that you see happening? I think it's an excellent 
observation and an excellent analogy. And I, you know, totally agree with you. I think it's a really, if, if you um, don't mind, I'm going to steal it and use it in the, in the future. Because it's really <laughs> sure. good, actually. It's, it's, it's true, right? So we, we know we will need offices. Um, at least I believe we will continue to need offices because nothing replaces uh, the collegiate collaboration, uh, especially in creative meetings when people are trying to come up with ideas and solutions that are a bit outside the box and people people need that, right? And, and, and creating culture, right? We talk about company culture and company values. How can someone that never met um, any of their colleagues in real world develop a sense of values and culture? You simply cannot. I mean, we, we hired almost 2,000 people throughout COVID. And our first priority, and we spend a lot of time, is to make sure that we embed them in, into, infuse them with our culture and values. But it's very, very hard. It's practically impossible. So we can't wait until it will have our offices open, um, which in different parts of the world has already happened. Happened in China and Japan, they're happily working uh, from the office again. But uh, I, I can't wait to, to give those newcomers the experience, the Firefetch experience. The Firefetch experience is not on Zoom or Blue Jeans or whatever you use or Google um, Hangouts, right? So it's, um, um, it's, it's with your colleagues in the real world in a room. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to go back to the past, right? So, of course, we all found out that, you know, it's amazing that we can be productive and efficient and work from home and therefore have more time for ourselves, for our families, etc. And we will want to keep that. And, and that's great. That's fantastic news for everyone. And what does that mean for office space? To your point, it means that we will need less office space, but the, we need to elevate the quality of the, the, yes. the time that we're gonna spend, because it's gonna be less time, so the, there's gonna to have to be an elevation of the quality. So we're doing this uh, in our offices, for example, here in London, we're refurbishing the offices to, to rethink, we think them as, um, culture and values building places and creativity spaces rather than desks and and uh, and laptops with occasional you know meeting rooms here and there right so um, and i think that's exactly the same with retail post pandemic we will continue to want to go to to stars because there's an element of physicality in, at least in the fashion category maybe in other categories less so but as an element of the physicality of the interior design of the star of the of the relationship with the with the fashion advisor or the sales assistant and uh, the touching of the garments uh, the whole experience and even hopping from shop to shop in the in you know newborn street or wherever it may be there's an element of that that cannot be replicated online i really really believe in that but it will be different and how do we then elevate that that fewer minutes and hours that people spend shopping offline will have to be elevated and therefore we need less square footage but more investment per square foot and and do something different with with uh, with, uh, with those spaces farfetch owns browns and you guys recently opened the new um, flagship in mayfair and i say this very unbiasedly but it's an incredible shop i've been there a few times now um both with the people at browns and also with friends you know there's a food space by a small restaurant called Native, multiple floors, colored rooms, I think you guys call it. And you can really, 
it, it's multiple purposes, first of all, right? Because yes, there's this intersection between digital and physical. I know that there's one of those apps that you can actually scan your wrist at the watch room, see how it looks on you. So that's technology that you guys have invested in. Then there's obviously the smart mirrors up top at the private suites and a lot of other hidden things in the store that you can't find. But I think more than just the technology, it brings back the core of retail, which is this community aspect, right? This idea of having a restaurant there, going up in the top floors, you have private salons, which always shifts. Sometimes it's a tattoo parlor. Sometimes you can just use the dressing room before a gala or whatever it is, shop with friends. Tell me a bit about the meaning of a store today in your eyes, you know, with what we just spoke about and how that applies to the Brown store in specific. I think, you know, first of all, Brown's for, for those of us who, who live in London has always been an iconic uh, boutique and, uh, and beacon of, of fashion and, and creativity. And, and, and for us, keeping that DNA uh, is the most important thing. So how can we be the guardians of that DNA for the next 50 years of Browns? Browns has just been, you know, like 50, 50th anniversary last year. Um, and so for us, that was, you know, like uh, at the center of it. And then how can we make this uh, the beacon of luxury new retail, right? Uh, if we're working on how people will shop for fashion in the next five to 10 years, then Brown should be the manifestation of this, or the manifestation of this vision. And and that's what the, the, that star is. And, um, and it's everything, it, as you said, it's not one dimension, it's many dimensions. It's interior design, it's the experience dimension, which uh, which uh, that's why we have the, the 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 restaurant there and the courtyard and all of that. But which restaurant, right? So we we went for um, native, um, um, who who is this zero waste um, concept, locally sourced, locally, um, you know, conceived and produced. Everything is uh, British. If it's not British, doesn't make it to the. For the restaurant, we were trying to do a, a margarita, and we were trying to find uh, British tequila. We're still working on it. Impossible, <laughs> but also that experiential element in terms of the residencies and and that community feel to it that Browns always had. It was the place where the designers would come and hang out and and see how their collections were being received and speak to the uh to the sales advisors and and learn from them and learn and actually meet customers on, on the shop floor and have chats with customers and all of that so recreating uh, that that community feel is very important and then of course all of this enhanced by technology and um you know it, it's it is you know we don't like technology that is visible um i in that i i i love steve jobs ethos that technology should be you know as invisible as possible and you shouldn't need a manual and you shouldn't need anyone to explain that. actually he did away with with user manuals um and um and it should be very intuitive and that's what we've built there and that's why you know you you may you know pop in and out and and not even see the the incredible technology that is working there as long as you have the, the browns app you can be treated as a VIP because because you know we we can really assist you in a much more in a hyper personalized way, which we wouldn't be able to if you just popped in you know um, without um, using the the LNA technology. I find this really fascinating, all of this, and especially what stuck sticks out to me. What I think about is this 
you know, not this battle, but this coexistence of global and local. And I think, and I, again, once again, unbiasedly say this, I think Farfetch is the most um, innovative business in doing both sides, right? Both global and local. And I think that's going to be incredibly important going for, forward. You, you mentioned this idea of this community and local designers coming to browse to see how their collections are performing, but then the consumer obviously still wants to, you know, buy what their friends in different countries are buying, or at least still have the same availability um, of what other consumers in other countries are buying. Looking at Farfetch's future and its business model today, the importance of physical stores. How many stores are there now around the world that are on Farfetch? Boutiques? So we have around uh, 800 uh, boutiques, but some of them have multiple locations. So it's, it's uh, yeah, a few thousand locations, yeah. A few thousand locations across the world. In, in 50 countries. Yes, whether it's on the app, whether it's on the websites, that kind of brings everything together for the consumer, no matter where they are in the world. What's going to be the importance of that coexistence between, yes, going more global in terms of mindset for a lot of consumers, but then the physical need very often being this global, this local experience? Yeah, I think you put it in a, in a very elegant way because it's both, right? Um, so sometimes I, I want to go local because I want to physically go to a physical space and that can only be <laughs> locally. And or I want to shop locally either because of convenience, because I want it same day delivery or a 90 minute delivery, um, or because I want to uh, be more mindful of the, of the planet and, and, and my carbon footprint, although we offset the carbon emissions. Uh, it's better not to have them in the first place so that we don't have to offset them always, right? So it's always better not, not to emit carbon uh, rather than, than to emit it and then offset it. So for a number of reasons, you may want to shop locally. And what I think, you know, it's incredible is that you can do that on, on Farfetch um, in a very powerful way. You can do that in 50 cities, right? In, in, sorry, in 50 countries. We have 20 cities with same-day delivery. Sometimes you want to shop global because I want that brand that only exists in Tokyo. And I know that a brand has, um, um, has their flagship store on Farfetch and therefore, you know, the product I want can only be found on Farfetch and it will be shipped from Japan. And I think that's fantastic. You know, this, this is what makes this industry so beautiful, so, so magical. That's why I fell in love with this industry. It's a journey around the world uh, with different aesthetics, different styles of curation, different uh, different uh, ethos, and uh, and and that magic uh, needs to be protected and celebrated as well. And and we give the, those options to the to the customer, and then the customer decides. You know, and the same person may decide differently on different days, right? So, so uh, but I think they they can coexist, and actually one can empower the other, right? Um, and that's what we're doing because by connecting to these, you know, thousands of locations worldwide, you enable both. You enable, you know, a filter, shop local or simply delivery, and you know it's coming from a local um, shop. Or you enable this complete, you know, uh, you know, global village of, of fashion that um, that is also magical. And uh, and I will 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 definitely continue to to evolve that and um, but that's very much part of our DNA and I think it will always be there. Personally, I always talk about how brands aren't companies, but they're universes, right? It's not just the product. That's maybe what they're most known for. Mm -hmm. But now there's going to be a bigger dispersion of what they have to offer. 
beyond fashion. And I wonder you know, your thoughts on that, where you see brands specifically heading into the future. Will they just be selling products, especially the big ones, or will it be a bigger offering of sorts? I think they were never just selling products, right? Um, they were never just selling products. Brands were, as you said, as you pointed out, they were always selling a universe, you know, like um, uh, a very intricate um, story, right? You can call it a story because it is a narrative. It is a story, you know, or many stories. Um, um, and, and that has always been the case, right? And in the past, they, they did it um, through the collections, the runway shows, the physical star, uh, their, you know, distributors and, and, and the boutiques they were present in. And that was, and the events they did in those boutiques, etc. So that was the narrative in, back in the days, like 20, 20 years ago. And um, now that is increasingly online, right? So the what digital stories are, are the brands creating? And I think they, you know, obviously embraced um, social media and digital media. Um, so the question, um, you know, keeps evolving. So the question is, how, how does this um, manifestation of the brand story keeps evolving? You know, um, and um, and 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 you see, you know, brands, um, you know, being now alive in in games, right? In uh, in video games, and even like the case of Balenciaga presenting the collection as a video game, which was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you see brands involved in the what what people call more generically the metaverse, which is many different things for many different people, uh, but involved in digital goods, right? Or digital twins, where you have a physical good and you have the digital counterpart. You can wear one in the physical world and what the other in the digital world. So all those things are going to be key because um, you know those those are cultural phenomenon phenomenons and the brands won't be oblivious to to those things and shouldn't be right well, it depends from brand to brand for some brands that doesn't make sense and that's totally fine but i think for most brands you know being in the zeitgeist in the spirit of times and and understanding what is uh, what is pulsating in culture and then you know bringing their story to to that pulsation to that movement um, is going mm -hmm. to continue to be important for us as a platform. Is how can we support them, right? Uh, how can we yes. support them? And and you know we are constantly talking to brands, understanding what they want to do, see where we can be a partner, either by amplifying the audience, right? We have three point three million active uh, shoppers and tens of millions of unique customers um, coming, uh, visitors coming and seeing um, our Farfetch app or the website etc um how can we help them with the amplification of that message and the co-creation of that message and we've been able to actually do it very successfully in where we co-create these campaigns and also around the world how do we do it in china in china we've done um you know for example on wechat uh we've done mini programs uh with, with balenciaga with saint laurent with uh, montclair uh, with, with very interesting um, social commerce, you know, ideas and innovations and, and how do we, you know, keep helping the brands as a platform to, to explore those cultural movements. What is something that for the smaller designers who are just getting started out, you know, might be in their parents' garage or in their small room or a small studio who have ambitions to even think like this further down the line? 
What's the point of advice you would give to these people? Uh, you know, I I don't like giving advice because um, there's a saying that if advice was valuable, um, you know, people would charge for it. <laughs> um, I would very <laughs> gladly give any advice I, I could of value to uh, to these designers, but it's very difficult to give generic advice because each each designer is his, his own story, his own vision, his own passion. Um, and um, uh, the only thing I'd say is that, you know, keep an open mind. Um, this is a very exciting world uh, with incredible opportunities. Uh, keep, keep a very positive outlook because what, what seems to be a challenge can be an incredible opportunity. Uh, look at Firefetch, we launched in 2008, and in October 2008, in 2009, we had a, um, the, the global financial re recession. And, uh, and actually, in hindsight, it helped us in, in so many ways. And, and we learned so much through the COVID uh, pandemic, right? So what, what sometimes seems as, as insurmountable difficulties, um, you know, what they say is necessity is a matter of invention, right? So it will, it can, it may lead your creativity to ways that you never um, expected. And, and so keeping an open mind, a positive outlook, and, um, and also uh, the last thing, if I, if I may share three ideas, think partnerships, not competition. We're not in a world, I don't think, I don't believe we're in a world or in an industry driven by competition. I think we're in an industry and in a world driven by partnership. Uh, and the reason is, I mean, if you look specifically in fashion, all of us are just a little grain of sand uh, or, or a little element in what is a big ecosystem. Um, you know, Chanel is a 10 billion brand in a $300 billion industry. That's 3% of the market. So even the giants, uh, Farfetch is 1% of the market, right? So competition, what? It doesn't make any sense. It may, and then we're good at certain things and we're not good at others. And so we need to constantly partner, 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 and, and have that mindset as opposed to to thinking in terms of competition and uh, and definitely for small designers i would you know really encourage them to think this is an industry of partnerships not an industry of competition um keep an open mind uh, and as flexible as, as flexible mind as possible and and always look for the positivity in, in everything jose thank you and for anyone listening to this podcast definitely visit the brown store in mayfair it's always great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Fashion Forum is a co-production between the British Fashion Council and In Talks With Productions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to find out more and join the conversation on social media, then head to londonfashionweek.co.uk or at London Fashion Week. <laughs>